0: This morning as I mentioned we're beginning a new series on second Corin- Corinthians and second Corinthians is um one of those is the not so well known Paul's letter First Corinthians tends to be read quite often and quoted quite often but the nature of second Corinthians it's quite personal. It has so much of depth. And um, as I prepare for the series and going through the whole letter up and down and surrounding cultural context, historical context, I am quite excited. It's a different kind of excitement even as, as compared to the 1st Corinthians series, because it is so personal. Um, We're going to actually do two things this morning. I was really torn between two things. The introduction, providing the background of the the letter would be so important. But I don't want to do a lot of information giving, Which might be still very helpful, encouraging for us. But I want us to taste a little bit of the beginning portion of Second Corinthians. The hence my decision to to two things and give an introduction, and we're going to take a look at verse one through seven, and do a part one of. Why God allows affliction affliction. In the following week we will focus on uh, verses three through eleven, which overlaps today's message. Part two of why God allows affliction. Let's look at verse one to two, which is the beginning portion of Second Corinthians, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The ancient letter addressee is always mentioned clearly in the beginning, and then um, Apostle Paul has seemed to have this formula on his his own uh, letters. Paul identifies himself as a writer. writer. And mentions to whom it's written. And then he gives greeting and beginning benediction, beginning praise. And this portion is just greeting, salutation. But let's look at each portion with the eyes of intentionality. That's what Paul is. He doesn't waste any words or phrases. He has an intention to use those things. If you look at other, Paul has written 13 letters in the New Testament. And others, he would use the word Apostle of Christ in some sense with others who are with him. But in this particular letter, Paul mentioned an Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God And he identifies Timothy, his core worker, spiritual son, my brother. There is a reason for that. Because at the center of this issue for this letter is about questioning, the Corinthian church is questioning and doubting and opposing his apostolic ministry authority. Is he, he's not even one of twelve. Is he real? If he's real, why is so poor? He goes through so much suffering. All kinds of things are going on. And that was the need for this letter. That's why he's writing this letter. And there's an intentional shyness of Paul, not asserting his rights and privileges as apostle, and not to mention authority, but on this letter he makes it clear, "I am an apostle of Christ," and Timothy, our brother. And also he's writing to to the church that he is planted, and in the city of Corinth. Um, but Corinth is in the bigger region called Achaia. So basically southern part of modern Greece, the whole thing. And then Mesodinia is up north Greece. But he's writing this letter to be circulated to any Christian churches around Achaia. So for example, Apostle Paul is writing to the to the crossway church in Santa Ana. Also the saints in Southern California. That will be the kind of language. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace means he's a key word in every letter because grace has connotation of a new covenant. He's a minister of new covenant. We'll explore more on that. And peace from God, once again, this shalom is much more than absence of troubles, but God's wholesome blessing and peace in our lives. And that comes from Lord Jesus Christ. So let's do a quick background uh, introduction of the second Corinthians. The first one, the ancient city of Corinth. Once again, as I mentioned, the first Corinthians series, Really, I looked at my notes, it's three years ago. Some of you guys remember that. But uh, there's some part of, the, of it will be redundant refreshment of your memory. Corinth was the capital of the Roman colony, Achaia. This is a Roman world. Greco-Roman world meaning it used to be Greek world, uh, Greek dominant world under the Alexander. And then it became a Roman empire growing worldwide from their perspective. The whole Europe. And then the the area, modern day Turkey is uh, called as Asia or Asia Minor, not the continent, but the part was referred to it as Asia. The whole thing was Roman world. Why was that? Because Rome was getting populated and then there are so many generals and so many officials, so many dignities. And there are basically decentralizing their important figures. And then the city of Alexander became the second largest, and then Corinth was the third largest of that time, new new colony-wise. But in terms of looking at the city, I think some of you travel there, and if you look at Corinth is in that right around here in the isthmus, it's a fin between the two ocean. Uh, it's about four miles. What, what they will do is basically, instead of going around the sea, it will take so much time, and they will hire the slaves to carry their uh, either luggages, or even the whole ship between that isthmus to go to the other side of the sea. And because of that, it was a cosmopolitan, very important strategic city uh, economically. And then Paul's first, second, third missionary is all around here. Here's uh, some familiar Troas and Ephesus will be right here. And Macedonia has a Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi, where all those cities are mentioned in New Testament epistles as well. Secondly, it was the center of commerce, as I mentioned, where international trades took place between the two harbors, and it was also a cosmopolitan city. Proud of its wealth, philosophy, and culture, and we all know the Olympic Games. Uh, Next to second, only second to Olympic Games, Isthmian Games were happen every other year. So, hence the reason why Paul uses a lot of this athletic sports metaphors in his uh, letters. And it was also the center of sensuality and immorality, temple Temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek version of Venus, the Roman goddess of beauty and love. And the form of their worship was beauty and love and fertility, which means that the more the God blesses, God is blesses you, the more you become fruitful in your finance, in your and your children, and whatnot. So the form of worship was having sex with prostitutes, temple prostitutes. So you could almost imagine um, the hypersexual. Life, sexuality. Open door. Anything goes. The culture was over-sexualized city. Uh, to a point that uh, terminology uh, among uh, the people in that century uh, you came up with this term, Corinthianized. Corinthian, Do you Corinthianize? Which meant to practice fornication. In other words, to practice free sex. This is much like our modern city, especially California. And remember, um, Ray Stenman back in 70s and 80s and his um, exposition on 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians were really popular and I looked at some of those things, and he would mention First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. We might as well call First Corinthian, First Californians, and Second Californians, because we're so resembled in that. So, out, out of all this context, you could imagine this is a messed up church when you when you read through First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. And you feel like, man, church is really messed up. But then yet, if you hear the news and look at, pay attention to the news, of what's going on? That's our church in America. The modern day church. With messiness. And you know, um, you know what, what people say, when you look at a person who never fails and who just succeeded everything, and there's nothing much you could learn. But when people fail, and they fail well, in other words, they learn lessons. And those are the mentors, the precious mentors from, which, from whom we could learn. I think the same is with its second, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So much of relevant messages. After 2,000 years, these letters have so much of valuable spiritual lessons, practical lessons for us. When it comes to historical background of 2nd Corinthians, I'm sorry about that, the church-planted um, well church was planted by Paul during his second missionary journey. Around eighty fifty and fifty one, he was there a year and a half, staying there and teaching, planting the church, and he moved on. And he wrote uh, the first letter of First Corinthians um earlier and he he wrote Second Corinthians around AD 55-56 from Macedonia. After about a year after writing First Corinthians, he just finished in Ephesians' ministry in Asia for three powerful years there. Um, and then he's heading back to Corinth, but instead of going to Corinth directly, he waits for his one of one of his coworker, young men, by the name of Titus. He's waiting for his new, the news. He's anxious to hear the previous letter he wrote, which is known as. The, the letter of tears or severe letter. He went all out on that letter. And he, that harsh letter, he was concerned about the response. And while he was right, waiting in, instead of waiting in Troas, who's supposed to be, and he decided to go to Macedonia to not only visit churches. Like Philippi or Thessalonica, Berea, Berean churches. He, this kind of double um, intention and motive was to wait for Titus to hear the news early. And in in his response, he's writing the second letter. Did you know that uh, Second Corinthians actually could have been called Fourth? Corinthians. Because in actuality, Apostle Paul wrote four letters. So let's call it ABCD so that we are clear on which one we're referring to. Letter A was ineffective in correcting the problems. Now it's lost. And letter B is what we know as 1 Corinthians. It was also ineffective. I prompted, uh, prompted Paul's visit because of the letter was ineffective. He decided to have this uh, traveling plan to visit twice. To visit Corinth and stay there for, uh, to encourage them and to go to Macedonia and come back to Corinth and to go back to Asia. Ephesus. But what ended up happening was that first visit became uh, instead of that letter didn't work let me go there in person and I will give you double grace. Instead of him being received well he was humiliated. The opposition of the church One leader happened, but church were wish-washy about that in, in general. So basically they didn't do anything. Paul, instead of retaliating, using his authority, apostle, and maybe even physical miracles can happen as a judgment as well. He didn't do any of that. He quietly decided to go back to Macedonia. And then, instead of going back, double grace. I just don't want to encounter that. If I'm going, going back, at this time, I'm going to have a bigger clash. And I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt by them. I, I don't want to have this pain and tears that I had. So he went to Ephesus 3. Directly, which became another problem. See, the people were doubting about Paul's integrity. He said, he says yes and no, at the same time, he is not trustworthy, not reliable. That became a problem. So he writes, instead of going down directly, writes severe letter, or tearful letter. We don't know because it's lost, but he might have confronted the leaders very directly, especially that one leader, leader who opposed apostolic, apostolic authority of Apostle Paul. But good news is the majority of the church people, Corinthians, repented. And they began to saw where they misunderstood and they turned their hearts toward Paul, majority of them. So there's some minorities who are still rebellious. And hearing that from Titus in Macedonia, he could hardly wait. It was so joyful. And in response, he writes this letter, Second Corinthians. So the strange thing happens isn't it? The latter is supposed to defend his apost- apostolic authority, in other words, to the church that he planted, he is having, he' having to defend his right his his authority to be overseer, to have them listen to him. We're not talking about just the pastor. We're talking about direct appointed apostle, one who is sent by Christ himself. His word and his authority was Christ's words and Christ's authority. Apostles in this century with capital A was New Testament itself. In modern days, anybody want to use a flamboyant people who, who likes to be a bigger title, they give themselves, instead of pastor or bishop or an overseer, Oh, I'm going to call myself apostle. But that doesn't make biblical authority at all. We are in one sense, all small a apostle. Boy and Cindy are apostles of Crossway Church, to one who is sent, those are sent. And when you go to Thailand for medical ch- uh, short-term mission trip, that is apostolic with a, small, small a. So this is the context that happened. Purpose and structure of Second Corinthians. And purpose, once again, was to vindicate Paul's apostolic authority and ministry In three main ways. Number one. To comfort and strengthen. The faithful majority in Corinth. Those who repented. From their rejection of Paul. In responding to the severe letter. Number two. To urge the church to contribute. uh, Make the contribution to the financial needs. Of Jerusalem church who was going through famine. Poverty is frequent. So he's going around, and not only Corinth, but Macedonia, all the churches that he planted in missionary journeys, collecting and taking that to the Jerusalem church. Number three, to challenge the rebellious minority of Corinthian church to repent, and to give them another chance to repent, before Paul returns to judge those still rejecting him and his message. And you know wonderful thing is that Paul's example is so powerful because we don't get to see Paul becoming the apostle of Rod he actually uses apostolic authority and power to whip them out, literally. In our, our days, we see that all the time. Isn't it? The cultic leaders or the, uh, the mega church leaders becoming so powerful, and they could do almost anything without much of accountability. But Paul in another case in many senses he looked very weak. and pe- People in Corinth, Corinth accusing him how come if you are really the apostle you can't even speak well. Can you even believe that? His public speak, speaking skill compared to Apollos or the other other Evangelist, he looked down. He, you you sound so strong and so bold and so strong in in writing, but when you show up in person, you 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 are pathetic. I, you're not a good speaker. You just once you sit down, that kind of thing. I'm very moved by this letter. You know why? One of the most difficult things in ministry, if you ask me, before I give that away, (laughs) I... I could take hours of long, hard work. I could face obstacles, and outside of the church, uh, you know, uh, conditional use permit and zoning issue. That's actually better to deal with. And I could actually. Um, endure hard cases of marital problems and all all that is going on in pastoring the church. But one thing, one thing I cannot stand is misunderstanding. When people accuse me for something that I didn't have, a little minor thing happens like that, I feel like quitting. I, I kid you not. I get up in the middle of the night. I can't go back to sleep. <sighs> Only if I am not in ministry. I don't have this. I don't have to deal with this. right? But look at this. Paul is going through misunderstanding day and night. Okay, my response, at my best motive, I could do this. Okay. Have at it. Good luck. And I walk away. Paul doesn't do that. Paul, when you get in there, it you gets more hurtful. Why do you do that? Here's why. Because his ultimate goal is not his peace, his happiness. Ultimate goal is to Lord Jesus Christ. If they turn against Paul, that means, They turn against the gospel that he preached. The authenticity of the true gospel is nullified. He will not have that. He could throw away himself in the fire to prevent that. That's what's going on. So because of that, structure becomes very simple as well. Um, Three parts of the letter. Uh, Chapter one through seven is Paul's defense of his ministry as an apostle, authentic apostle. Part two is practical reason. Paul's urge to the repentant church to give something like I did, missions giving, giving to the missions fund. Right to give to the need for for Jerusalem Church. Um, Chapter ten through thirteen. He changed the tone again. Paul's appeal to the rebellious minority in Corinth. There is a challenge for unity of this letter. In other words, did Paul write the whole letter? The question is because of the tone of chapter 10 through 13 changes so drastically. He starts with just joy and comfort. A lot of language of reconciliation. Warm heart. And then chapter beginning of chapter 10, he turns sharp and challenging tone. For some people said, Oh, maybe that's the part of severe letter. And some people put it put it together. I know most scholars disagree with that. Or another person, another scholars will say, "Oh, there are two two separate letters, kind of put it together." Oh no, that doesn't go well either. Or well-meaning scholars will say, "It just ignore it. Just look at it as one thing." It doesn't sit well either. Probably the most reasonable answer is that with joy of hearing the news from Titus he's writing Second Corinthians. But it's not like he writes in a couple of hours and send it. Maybe it takes days to write those that that kind of letter. And then in the meantime, he heard the news about the minority rebellious minority again. So at the end, he's changing his tone again to speak and challenge the rebellious minority. So that happens the whole uh, the letter of Second Corinthians. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and compare it briefly. 1 Corinthians have practical answers to the problems of the church, solution-oriented. And 2 Corinthians is very personal answers and defense to the objections against Paul's apostleship. First Corinthians have warning against worldly wisdom and values, especially Greek uh, mythology, Greek philosophy. Uh, But second Corinthians have a lot of warning against the super apostles that came from uh, Jerusalem and saying that they have a recommendation letter from the apostles and their false gospel. They, they are the ones that, who look shining and glorious. I could almost picture the, the first century version of wearing bling, bling blings. 1 <laughs> <laughs> um. Corinthians is instru- instructional and theological, principle-oriented 2 Corinthians is testimonial and biographical. With, hence the reason why 2 Corinthians seems to be in one sense very disorganized. He just shares his heart. Unlike Romans, you could see the systematic theology plugged in every, every section of the letter the logical sequence and progression is so clear. So that's why you could outline other Paul's letter very easily. You try to outline Apostle John, like first letter of John or second letter, he he thinks like this, it's, it's impossible to outline well. For Second Corinthians, Is powerful because he teaches us not through theological principles and doctrines, instructions, didactics, but through opens up his heart and his life, and he bears us all. We learn by example, we learn by his modeling. It wasn't my intention, but as I read through it, oh, every single pastor in this day and age need to read this every every once a year, meditate on it once a year because all kinds of wacky things going on in today's in today's church in the name of spiritual leadership, church leadership, we need Paul and his example and lastly. 1 Corinthians reveals what an authentic church of Christ looks like. and 2 Corinthians reveals what an authentic leader, spiritual leader in Christ looks like. The key themes, I thought about it three, of 2 Corinthians to begin with. The major theme would be strength and weakness. The central theme of 2 Corinthians is Paul's biographical testimony which is about his suffering. The very thing that he was accused by. Accused of by the um, super apostles and Corinthian Christians. But he actually turns it to say his secret is, he's in weakness. The suffering that brings him down to weakness, and the Spirit's work happens, which is God's strength, in apostle apostle's ministry. It is the essence of his authenticity as an apostle of God's paradoxical way, countercultural way to reveal. His grace. In chapter 11, he says, Therefore, when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, I can't wait until we get there. But that flows from the beginning of uh, the letter as well. <clears throat> Second theme is reconciliation, or I wouldn't say unity, maybe true unity. And throughout the letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul stress, stresses the importance of reconciliation and relational unity. By that he means restoration of relationship. First Corinthians, he came on a hard on the case of in uh, incest um, a church leader was living and having sexual relationship with his uh, stepmother stepmother in law stepmother who was a wife second wife of his uh, deceased father and Paul is saying you are letting him to go on and saying nothing you need to kick him out literally basically he came this hard and then one of the things that he didn't they didn't obey was that oh kessarach grace is sufficient for in everything and then when Paul came to visit and the opposition, maybe some scholars say, their very leader could be the opposing leader. But in that case, they humiliated Paul. And then Paul goes out and he writes severe letter. And they responded. And they repent. And they discipline him really hard. And he's repentant now. In the 2nd Corinthians, now he's saying, restore him back, welcome him back, make room for him, make room for ourselves too. So, he's, in other words, the relational unity among the Christian brothers and sisters in, within the church is so important. Not posing as things are okay. And his relational restoration with the church was so important. It, this is the evidence of the gospel of Christ. You see, unlike modern churches' thinking, unity is something happens if you, if you do anything right. It's a byproduct of church. According to Paul, we're going to learn this, unity actually requires hard work, constant vigilance, intentional work, And open hearts to one another. So it is so important even in our church. The conflict resolution has to be ruled. Thorough. Not on the surface only. But our hearts are open. And thirdly. True spiritual leadership. Is servant leadership. That 's a third theme, and in his intentionally personal letter, because paul 's modeling of how he humbles himself, for example, he decides to not to charge when he preaches in gospel preaches the gospel in Corinth out of good heart why because of, uh itinerary speakers and the philosophers and the people who are speaking you know, by trade will go city by city and they get their living by getting paid for their session. I mean, even in our days, people who are highly demanded speakers get you know, $10,000, I don't know, even some, some cases even more for one talk. Paul says, if I am sharing the gospel, they might think that, misunderstand that I'm one of those philosophers and speakers and teachers, or the oratory skill teachers. I'm going to give the gospel without a charge. And they took that as because he wants to control you. Because he wants to get in deep and control of your property and all those things, wacky misunderstanding happen. What does Paul do? He continually humbles himself. Okay, so I could stop here. I think it's, it's a lot, right? But I want us to have a just glimpse of beginning uh, blessing. Remember what's on Paul's mind? And Paul's is on mind of that suffering that he is going through. He has gone through quite a lot in Ephesus. He almost died. But he thinks of his church. The very thing he's accused of, he actually uses that. Oh, let me comfort you, encourage you with this. So that's why I entitled part one of why God allows aff- afflictions in our lives. And number one, God allows it to strengthen us in our weakness as the Father of mercies and Father, a God of all comfort. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. And quickly, I need to mention, notice how many times the words affliction and comfort. In this short paragraph, comfort itself is mentioned ten times. Why? Because Paul wants to share about the relationship between suffering and God's paradoxical work. We need to mention also that the Greek word parakeleo, uh, from which we get the word of the comforter, referring to the Holy Spirit, one who walks alongside but m- typical Americans like you and me, when we hear the word comfort, we think of empathy. Oh, it must be feeling really difficult. Oh, I've been there too. No, it's much more than words of cheap words of empathy. And let me take that back. It's, empathy itself is good. <laughs> it, it it helps, right? But. God's comfort is much more than that. The word has the nuance of strengthening. Not just the word, but strengthening. When you are comforted, you become strengthened. You have sense of new energy and strength because of God's comfort. In the midst of horrible trials and affliction and suffering that you go through, What does that mean then? There are the mercies of God, the comfort of God, strengthening of God that you can never experience unless you go through affliction. Yesterday morning during prayer meeting, realizing how serious the problem is, As we were praying, many of us, including me, felt convicted of our own complacency. Lord, have mercy on me. I repent from my ingratitude, complacency. I mess up because of my lack of vigilance. We are so self-sufficient. Why? Because God wants us to experience the deeper things. God is God of, Father of mercies. God of all comfort. Amidst, affliction, and most difficult times, Since we don't use the word affliction in daily language, it's probably when you go through trouble, you're so much stressed. You could experience God. God's strengthening. What will it take? Paul, and I'll say, You need trust, childlike trust. And God is not only sovereign, He is absolutely full of mercy. He is consistently good no matter what's going on in your life. Would you believe that? And then you will experience bright darkness. Darkness. You're going through the dark valley, valley, but you see God's hope, God's strength, in a bright, illumining light. And that's the most precious time, precious grace that we could receive. Second reason, that God allows it so that we can also comfort and strengthen others in affliction with the same comfort that we experience from God. Verse 4, be below to 7. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are afflicted it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experienced when you patiently endured the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Oh, this is Beautiful and powerful. You know what Paul is saying, instead of just cheesy, kind, nice words of empathy, he is saying because I see your suffering through my suffering and that which is come from the Christ's suffering, we are having fellowship with each other. When I go through suffering, it is for you. When I receive God's comfort, it is for you. This is what body of Christ looks like. Do you remember Psalm 35 when Apostle I, I mean K- King David is praying this curse and judgment on his enemies? Well, that happened to be my quiet time sharing. I, I sent it and I forwarded it to Boy Bo and Cindy. Cindy should right back. He said, "Paul, thank you so much. This is exactly what we are going through in China." Maybe I shouldn't have signed to China, East Asia. <laughs> the persecution is so severe; they stop selling uh, Bibles on online starting Easter Sunday. And as as they're going through affliction, our church's comfort is seeing their perseverance together. So when you, when you meet someone next time instead of saying oh, I feel bad for you you know you, you lost your dad and I lost my dad uh, 15 years ago I felt really sorry uh, I felt really sad so I feel sorry for you. Let's go beyond that a little bit. I'm not saying about quoting Bible verses. I'm talking about search for how you have received God's strengthening. And that means so much. And that's why whenever I, I receive emails from Boy and Cindy or Bob and Grace, their endurance creates so much comfort. Strengthening of my faith. Let's walk alongside of that person instead of just saying one quick word and disappear. Let's strengthen that person continually. And then we know, we begin to understand, sovereign God has his good will in allowing affliction the lives of his people. Paul Barnett. One of the commentators. Writes this. Paul's experience. Of suffering and comfort. In the course of his ministry. Is replicated in every generation. In the lives of godly missionaries. And pastors in their. Interrelationships with their congregations while both minister and people suffer as they bear witness to Christ in an alien culture there remains a distinctive role and therefore a distinctive suffering to the Christian leader as the comfort of God is experienced in the life of the leader so it will be passed on through ministry to the people Yes, today's world is different. Yes, we need to be relevant to the people who are lost. Yes, we need to reach out boldly and creatively. But one thing that should not that should not be changed is this heart of servant leadership in suffering. Pray for your pastor. Pray for pastors around here so that we would remain faithful. To Lord Jesus who took the suffering for us. Pray for your home group leaders. And men's group leaders. And women's group leaders. So that they may be true authentic spiritual leader. To experience comfort and suffering. Affliction. In a supernatural way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 2 Corinthians and how we are excited to jump into into this and glimpses of first lesson. We feel humbled by Apostle Paul's uh, quiet example. Humble example. And I bow and repent of my haughtiness of self-conception that somehow I deserve better. And I pray, Lord, that our church will be marked by humility, open heart for reconciliation, and strengthen weakness as we serve the church and the lost in Christ-like manner. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray.